Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson, and welcome to season three of the Functional Health Podcast. I'm trained in both biomedical science and nutrition, and I firmly believe that a holistic and functional approach to health is fundamental to our well-being. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine, from practitioners to professors and everyone in between. With this podcast, I will share with you their stories, their expertise, and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives and providing you with simple tips and tricks to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Joe Gamble. Joe is trained in nutrition, functional medicine, and integrative cancer therapy. She has a holistic approach with cancer, helping to improve outcomes and empower patients to feel the best that they can. So, without further ado, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. I just introduced you before. Um, and I know that you started out in nutritional therapy with your own story, with an interest in kind of autoimmune conditions. But where did your drive to focus on cancer begin? Well, it actually was part of that same story in that when my daughter was diagnosed with an immune system that was overreactive, as a baby, they put her onto a chemotherapy drug, methotrexate, which is very commonly used in autoimmune protocols. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of it for her was to lower her overreactive immune system but what that meant was that she ended up with a immune system that was too low and very quickly after starting the drug I mean bear in mind she was only very young so there's lots of germs hanging around in children of that age she was very seriously poorly with bilateral pneumonia so that made me very quickly realize that it wasn't her disease that was going to affect her as much as the drugs themselves and the more and the more that I looked into the impact of chemotherapy drugs to lower the immune system, the more I started to realize that for me, I had to take control of my daughter's health. And thus, in my one woman campaign to save my daughter, went on to really have an affinity to work in the field of individuals on these kind of drugs. So I would say I didn't go looking for it that passion came and found me. Fantastic. So I've seen your credentials and it says that you're a fellow of integrative oncology. But, uh, what exactly is that? Okay, so so after I did my nutritional training in the UK, which mm-hmm. was fantastic, I studied with the College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is the biggest training provider of naturopathic medicine in this country. But it's still, I was still hungry for more. I was still hungry to, to go deeper into why people get sick. So in autoimmunity, why does the body attack the body? Mm-hmm. Why are we seeing more cancer in much younger individuals? And that became my, yeah, but, 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 but why mentality? So that took me to America to study with the Institute for Functional Medicine. And I became... UK's first functional medicine practitioner to graduate in 2013, I believe. Um, But I still was, it still didn't give me enough depth of understanding cancer and and the type of drugs that were being used in the field of oncology and how their mode of action worked. So I found a course also in America, which was a fellowship in integrative oncology. And I had the opportunity to train with many oncologists 
many nurse practitioners working in the field of oncology to be able to understand more about how drugs work because I'm very much not against using pharmaceutical drugs in this in this way mm -hmm. I just need to understand in my head the mode of action so what are the what are the doctors trying to do with these drugs and then be understanding how I can support the individual on that journey and the fellowship really did give me that understanding now in some countries particularly in america integrative oncology actually not just america in massive parts of europe germany turkey istanbul there mm -hmm. are many integrative oncology clinics yes and and i think the uk sadly this is where having a national health service sometimes does is a disjustice because if you think about it like in in america where people have to have health insurance and they enter the world of any disease it's not just about oncology but they you know they go to see their medical doctor and they claim it on their insurance or they go see their functional doctor and they claim it on their insurance mm -hmm. here we seem to be like got a national health service and it's free and they're going to provide everything and then people kind of don't start looking for functional medicine until either the nhs have failed them They've tried everything, they've banged their head against a brick wall, they've not had the results that they want, and then they start generally playing around with Dr. Google and going, what else can I do? Yeah. And that's when they start to find functional medicine and go, oh, I'm going to try this. So sadly, and I'm not saying this is always, because there's lots of people out there very passionate in preventative health, but sadly, most people who walk through my door are already quite damaged in mm -hmm. that journey, either from, from the disease itself or from all of the different drugs that have been on. So what I try and do is put together my knowledge in functional medicine, which is really digging down deep and going, why did your body get sick? It's very much a, uh, a passion around personalized, individualized medicine yep. rather than I'm going to treat your diagnosis, which is we both know a bit about how the NHS work. It's a bit of a tick box exercise. You've got this. so I'll give you this. That didn't work. I'll go to the next level, the next tick. So what functional medicine allows me to do is I don't have to follow any tick boxes. Yes, of course, I want to keep you safe and I want to keep you well, but I don't treat diagnoses. I sit with you as an individual and I look at why. And that's exactly the same using my, my integrative oncology approach is, yeah, but why did your body go out of balance that allowed this disease to manifest? Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, Ben, if we don't get down to that level, we're... We're fighting fires without the right equipment to ever get them under control. Mm -hmm. And sadly, this is why so many people's lives are dominated by illness and not working towards wellness. And with statistics of cancer now being one in two, we have to have a call to action to change our approach in how medical medicine has worked with cancer and we have to be working towards preventing diseases rather than just waiting until people get them and then kind of almost panic treating them which is how the approach currently works yes yeah i was actually speaking to um robin daly last week and we were talking about how 
there is more integrative clinics across Europe and in the yeah. US and the kind of UK is on the back foot or coming from behind in this in this case very much so and part you know it's very sad to, considering we're very much a developed country mm-hmm. that in that we don't have those sorts of clinics but I, I think it's because like I said we've got this national health service which no, don't get me wrong, not everybody can afford private healthcare in America. And I know there's some people that aren't able to access healthcare at all because of, of that financial limitation. Yeah. But actually, because we've got this free system, it's p- pulling people away from options of integrative care. So, so at the moment, people are having to work quite hard to find people like myself to be able to go, oh, I didn't even know. And the amount of people that say to me, I didn't even know you existed, Joe. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as functional medicine or integrative care. Mm-hmm. And it's because doctors in this country almost dismiss the level of science that goes with my profession, my industry, mm-hmm. and, and goes, oh, yeah, you don't want to go see them. They're just going to, like, I don't know, feed your lettuce leaves and tomatoes. What are you going to spend all your money there? And it's, it's sadly, it's, it's incorrect education about the industry. And that's a big part of what I've done over the years, as well as working one-to-one with my clients, is education. Education to other practitioners and education to, to, to members of the public. Because if we don't put time into education, we are never going to change this. Absolutely. No, I entirely agree with you there. I mean, I was told the other day, like, what does a nutritionist actually tell people to do? Is it just eat more salads? I was like, no, no, not at all. (laughs) I mean, maybe in some circumstances, but, you know, that is just a tiny, tiny element of it. Absolutely. And that's why my title is I'm a a functional medicine practitioner and, and if anybody doesn't understand that, I just want you to think it's a science-based approach to medicine. And mm-hmm. that's what I am doing all the time is backing up every one of my thoughts, my recommendations with science. And it's not its not a hippie chick. It's not a woo-woo or witch doctor or all of these bad connotations. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an individualized approach. And actually, functional medicine is the medicine of of the movement and going forward because conventional medicine is a disease care model, whereas functional medicine is a wellness care model. And I don't know about the rest of your listeners, but I rate preventative medicine as so powerful because if we don't prevent diseases, we will be in the sick care system. Absolutely. And there is a kind of change coming through as well. You've got people like Mr. James Maskell promoting the evolution of medicine and his new book, The Community Cure, and showing how like these approaches can be integrated into society, which is something which I'm advocating. Uh, Absolutely. And Mark Hyman did something called the Daniel Plan, which is Mm -hmm. where he integrated it in through the church to really try to get community groups that wouldn't necessarily embrace this to learn to embrace it. And this is this is the the way forward, but it takes more of these people, more of us to bang that drum to to, to make people aware that this even exists. Absolutely, and I think that it's such an important point. And these kind of barriers are probably the reason why integrative oncology, but integrative practices in general, aren't common practice. 
Yeah, absolutely. But what happens is people hear that word, don't they? Cancer. And, you know, how many years has it been called the big C for? And yeah. it puts people into a, a fear, a, a scared approach. And actually what we need to see is, so the way I will often explain to a client, so I'm definitely not an us or them approach. It's like going, no, you are at the center and we need to all work with you around you, but with you as our shared best interest. So that includes all of your medical team and also includes all of your integrative team. Mm -hmm. And that is how, that's how I work. I will openly work with i would write to any of my clients oncologists and just introduce myself and tell them about my approach and what my thoughts are and share those approach with them if that's what my clients want me to do so that they feel i don't have to do it but it's definitely something that i offer but uh, an analogy i get my clients to to think about sometimes is go particularly when we're dealing with stage four cancers so stage four cancers it's it's already metastasized to distant organs mm -hmm. and actually on on in the medical world there is no treatment for stage four cancer it becomes palliative management not curative intent so i i say to my clients well actually what your oncologist has said is that you're putting all of your life savings on one investment and you're at the horses and they've put all of that investment on a donkey that's not going to get to the end or if it does it's going to be pretty pretty slow to get to it um would you put all of your life savings on that kind of investment if you were at the stock exchange no probably not mm -hmm. so actually what integrative care is going well can i just share my investment out across a couple of different good horses or good investments and, and see if there's any better chance of one of them coming to give me a, a good outcome. Or actually maybe put the two together and the accumulation of the two might give me a better outcome. So I don't want anybody thinking that, that, that they'd work with me or work with one of my colleagues and go, no, that you can't have chemotherapy. Because that is, again, it's a little bit of a miss interpretation out there that oh god yeah but i don't want to say no to the treatment mm -hmm. and what we can do is go well what we got in our kit bag to improve the efficacy of what the doctors are doing to minimize the side effect but but also to change the environment within the body and what i mean by that is at the point the cancer cells are already growing so at the point that client has received that diagnosis then the environment is very much pro cancer pathogenesis pro-cancer growth and development mm -hmm. and what we want to do is we want to change the environment and yet no medical treatment really does that chemotherapy doesn't do it radiotherapy doesn't do it immunotherapy doesn't do it surgery doesn't do it so not saying that they don't have their strengths but what happens is we're left with an environment that remains the same and that environment allowed cancer cells to grow initially so what's the chances of those cancer cells regrowing? Those tiny microscopic cancer stem cells that were already there didn't get treated by chemotherapy or radiotherapy, but now have had the chance to reignite because nobody changed the environment. And that's what integrative approach does, is it looks at that environment and goes, what isn't right about it? And that environment could have changed by stress, mm 
-hmm. And I see stress as a massive factor in loads of my clients' onset or reignition of their cancer. Thinking about things like their gut microbiome, so the, the bacteria yeah, that helps to regulate the immune system from within the gut. Thinking about toxicity, we live in a really toxic world. Thinking about genetic predispositions, and that's why we know that certain people are at a genetically higher risk of cancer than others. And this isn't just the cancers that are known to be genetic, like the BRCA1 gene in breast cancer. Mm -hmm. This could be factors where, you know, we've seen people get in families have several different types of cancers, completely unrelated, but maybe they've got a genetic reduced ability to handle the toxic world that we live in. And whilst it turned out to be a prostate cancer in their dad, it could become a bowel cancer in them. So, and I mean, that's, that's just a small few things that I might start to look at with my clients. And then we've got to think about things like uh, the acid alkaline balance and cancer very much thrives in an acidic environment but yet the western diet that we eat is very pro-acidic so the way i work is go well what allowed that cancer to thrive mm -hmm. so can we start to do the opposite can we alkalize the body can we take away the sources of fuel to the cancer cells like reducing glucose a cancer cell has between 10 and 20 times the receptors to glucose as a normal healthy cell. But yet our Western diet is very high in carbohydrates, sugars, refined sugars that turn to glucose very, very quickly and feed those cancer cells. So if we've got the opportunity to go, okay, so acid is pro-carcinogenic acid environment, so let's go more alkaline. Glucose is a source of fuel, so let's try and reduce the glucose levels. We talked about the microbiome, not that we can do it at all points of somebody's treatment, meaning when they're on chemotherapy, but at certain times, particularly if they've finished their treatment, working to optimize their microbiome so we don't allow reignition. Thinking about toxicity, if they weren't toxic before they had treatment, the blooming well are going to be afterwards, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah. So, so thinking about how we can change that. Now, what mm -hmm. happens for most people is they go through their, they get the diagnosis and they're feared into, oh my goodness, I could die. So then they go through this, they, they step onto this cancer elevator and they go in and they go in and they go into their chemo appointments and their radio appointments, their scan appointments, their oncologist appointments. And they almost feel as though they're contained within the world of oncology and it almost feels safe to have all of these appointments for many individuals because they feel like they're doing something mm -hmm. and then the oncologist might say to them brilliant you know you've got no cancer in your body go home and enjoy your life go back to how it was and then what happens is they're hit by this almighty fear so they take a great big <gasps> and hold their breath and by the way, cancer also thrives in an anaerobic environment, meaning without oxygen. So the more we hold our breath, the more we're not getting the body into the right environment. Mm -hmm. But but I said about this stress. So they're massively stressed. So to begin with, they're like, oh, gosh, I want to do everything I can. But then the hair might grow back. They might put back on the weight that they lost. And then they start to forget about cancer. Now, brains do an amazing job, don't they, of like forgetting, forgetting pain, forgetting trauma. 
or suppressing emotions. Absolutely. So they go mm. back and they might go back to their Western diet that they ate. Maybe they did make a few changes. And then before you know it, those cancer stem cells that were there anyway reignited. Mm-hmm. And sadly, that might be a metastatic disease at that point. So what I do with my clients is go, well, okay, let's not, you know, your oncologist is taking you to the end of the oncology elevator. So now let us step onto an elevator where we really work hard. And with me, it's about finding out what your unique drivers of your cancer were. So all those things, I might test their stool to look at their microbiome i might look at their toxic levels i look at their genetic predispositions Mm -hmm. i look and work at their stress levels like i really engage with lifestyle medicine and then i start to work with them to educate them about their unique imbalances and to empower them by seeing their results and making changes to their results Now, that is one of the most powerful things that you can do to actually go, no, we're going to change the environment. And you, the individual, are in complete control of that journey. And that's why I use a lot of lab testing to drive them and they can see the improvements in their labs. I think that's one thing which is hugely powerful. When you can quantify it and see it on paper and see these results change, people genuinely like that. You know, and it also spurs them on in terms of motivation wise. Absolutely. Something something which you said before as well is that someone can have the same problem and express it in a different way so you, you gave the example of like someone can have a detoxification pathway which is down regulated and they get different cancers yeah. and dr tom o'brien that i spoke to previously is like a brilliant saying like the chain will always break at the weakest link you know yeah. someone could be on the same rubbish diet <clears throat> and develop completely different conditions as another person and you know they could have the same kind of problems or genetics or whatever and i find that really fascinating and when you were talking about um how you can combat these issues there's obviously i mean you listed them so many ways that we can intervene even just to improve quality of life i'm not even talking about the treatment itself which i think is a huge thing that we don't talk about either is how what your quality of life is reducing side effects from treatments and things of that nature Definitely, definitely. And, and it is, I talk really openly with my clients and I, I don't necessarily prettify the picture mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know, you've got stage four cancer. Well, I, I, I'm going to make this all better. But what I do do is I talk absolute honesty with them and I talk about where we can impact this. Stage four, stage two, stage one, precancerous cells, you know, there's some common link between all of them and go, your body allowed you to go out of balance. Mm-hmm. And let's take some of that fear factor and go, okay, let's use that fear, but in a positive motivational source to make changes. And lifestyle medicine is such an important part of that. And I very much believe that in the world that we live in, that we've become so pro-stress as a fashion accessory whereby if we're not stressed we're not cool we're not in the gang Mm -hmm. and we encourage it in young children you know there's these youngsters going through schools going oh i'm so stressed and actually i really want to work with people on a lifestyle point of view and go no we need to be working at reducing that stress we need to be 
practicing lifestyle medicine, whether it's deep breathing, time with nature, time with pets, laughter, happiness, Mm -hmm. so that we're not embracing that high stress environment that actually isn't cool. It isn't and shouldn't be a fashion accessory and a badge of honor that too many people wear with pride, not realizing the negative effects that that has on your body. And I also think that rather than using that fear to affect your sleep, you know, people people will lie awake at night panicking about their disease. And actually, I I want with the empowerment them to go away and go, I'm back in control. Yeah. Because there's something about the medical system. This is what I experienced right from my daughter's diagnosis. And this is really why I have become this expert and can take my clients on a journey is there's something about being in that hospital system that that takes away your power. It takes away your identity. It takes everything from you. And actually what I want to do is I want to work to give that back. And I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with children with cancer. I've worked with all elderly with cancer. And it's a common theme throughout everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, in integrative care, you actually become that individual one more time. You're not, you're not patient A or patient B. You are a person with emotion, and that emotion is influential on your disease outcome just as much as your genetic polymorphism is influential, your gut microbiome is. And that's why I've got that ability to work with all of those different elements and not just what's your diagnosis so here's a protocol to hit your diagnosis yeah and we talk about like personalizing medicine and personalizing nutrition to the individual but is there any kind of common theme which you see which everyone that comes to your door we've talked you spoke about stress before mm-hmm. i definitely i definitely think stress stress is mm-hmm. stress is huge today and it's only going to get worse isn't yeah, it it's yeah. only become it's only building in momentum it used to be acceptable that people work 35 hours a week it's now if you work 45 hours a week then that's not really working like oh that's just part time you yeah. need to be working 70 hours a week mum's going back to work as soon as their children are six weeks old because that's the new thing that that we do so i do definitely see stress as a common theme what else do I see as common themes? And I don't want to give people the wrong opinion as in go, oh my God, that means I've got going to get cancer. Um, but things like, like imbalances in the gut, clients who have gut symptoms such as bloating, constipation, diarrhea, they are signs that your gut microbiome is not in balance. And bearing in mind that your your microbiome influences your immune system, it influences your ability to regulate inflammation, as well as lots of other things, then actually we need a really healthy microbiome to be able to regulate a healthy immune system that surveys for cells that shouldn't be there and draws in the immune system to do something about it. So I definitely think that people are too willing to accept that changes in their gut health is okay. It's the new norm. And again, it shouldn't really be the norm. And this is the issue is we, we you know, we live in a society where people don't like talking about their bowel movements. Yeah. <laughs> so if they are, if that's normal for them, it's normal for them to only have a bowel movement every three days or to have seven in a day, 
then that norm becomes the pattern that you expect. Mm -hmm. And because we don't, well, then you and I might talk about it at the dinner table, but because people <laughs> don't talk about it at the dinner table, people don't share it with their work colleagues, you kind of frame it as the, as the new norm, but therefore every day is normal. Yes. And I don't like to ex accept these words as normal, the same as I don't like a doctor to, to tell their client that their bloods are normal. I like to eyeball these things with my own eyes, which is why if your gut is not as I would accept, then I want to eyeball it by sending you away for a stool test. If I think that for a woman, their hormones are out of balance, a woman who presents to me with breast tenderness every cycle, I'm like, that's not normal. Might be for you. It's not normal. So I want to eyeball your hormones with my own eyes. How do I do that? I send you away and go and get those tested. Mm -hmm. Because only when I've got data, I can really look at where you are within parameters of wellness to disease. Absolutely. And the, the more we, we as individuals take responsibility for our wellness, the less we'll be relying on a sick care system to help with illness. And that's hugely empowering as well, right? Because you're putting the ball in their court and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So for people at home who may not be able to kind of visualize what outcomes you may be able to achieve, do you have any examples of like individual cases that you've worked on in the past which have been particularly interesting or things well, like that? Well, I'm, I'm going to share one, and it, 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 it's a case of a gentleman, because we were starting off by talking about oncology. It's a yeah. case of a gentleman diagnosed with primary bowel cancer metastasized to his liver so he contacted me via a friend of a friend who recommended as most of my referrals come you must go speak to joe gamble so along he came um and he was just about to start his chemotherapy and i supported him from a working around the best environment within his body all the things we've talked about trying to change the environment trying mm. to minimize side effects and loads of work over his head body control of his disease and i think that's so important if you look at books like radical remission um the cancer whisperer so much of that sort of of true life stories of of, of clients who've had stage four cancer is about their brain's control of their body which is why me talking about emotion and feelings is so important mm. so i supported him through that journey and actually by the end of his like what should have been his chemotherapy regime, they scanned him as they would expect him to go to bowel resection next. And there was no tumour in his bowel. No. So basically chemotherapy, you know, how much you can say is chemotherapy on his own, how much you could say chemotherapy with integrative support, but he got a very good outcome, far greater than anybody expected. Now, I don't care what percentage comes from me or them I only care about the shared outcome for the good of the client. So I, it really doesn't bother me as long as we get the desired outcome. But this guy still had liver mets. And sadly, for most individuals with metastatic disease, they are on palliative treatment. Now, some people can live on palliative treatment for five odd years and still have, you know, good quality years. But, but, but sadly, they are told that they will die of their cancer and their life expectancy will be far shorter than you would expect life expectancy to be. 
So uh, he did go and see a liver specialist who agreed to a liver resection. So we had a liver resection. And actually, you can take away a fairly sizable amount of the liver as well, as long as the tumour is in sort of a reasonably one part of the liver. The issue is obviously if it's spread in multiple small nodules. Mm -hmm. But this gentleman's, it was in part of his liver. So he had a liver surgeon who agreed to a liver resection. Now, the liver is a rejuvenating organ. It actually starts to rejuvenate very quickly, just within hours of that initial surgery. And they took his liver down to just under 50%. So liver would have gone through rejuvenation processes. And we supported all of that. So we come off his chemotherapy at this point. We supported liver rejuvenation. We supported detoxification from all of the treatments. And he became cancer-free from stage four cancer. So at that point, I then started to run functional testing on him. I still continue with his scans. He's now quite significantly out of the sick care system. And yes, he still has an annual scan but his scans are becoming less and less common his liver is now fully rejuvenated it is the size of an adult male's liver his scans remain clear and we now put all of our emphasis onto functional testing to test his microbiome to test his toxic markers to look at his cellular energy production to look at how much free radical damage is in his body and really promote wellness he's now living a full life you know he's back at work full time enjoying time with his children with his family he he sees himself and is you know on all of his medical tests cured of stage four cancer fantastic and and that's just a like a very good example of like using both conventional therapy and integrative therapy to best improve the outcomes of the patient and something i get asked a lot is you know are you pro quote-unquote alternative therapy or are you pro quote-unquote conventional therapy and the answer is no i'm like pro choice pro empowerment pro outcomes people should be able to make their own outcomes but the best thing would be to integrate so you've got the best of conventional therapy working with the best with alternative integrative medicine to hopefully have the best outcome for the patient because as you discussed before some of the side effects which you can get for some of these um, common treatments can be ameliorated through alternative therapies, which is brilliant. What I'm, what I would say is, if the client's got a curative cancer, then obviously we're supporting them for the best desired outcome possible mm-hmm. to try to change their environment within their body, make it hostile to cancer cells and to optimize wellness and even if they haven't if if the client has a diagnosis of stage four cancer and their life is going to be short i'm still fighting for both quality and quantity it's not just about the number of days we've got on the planet which of course none of us know do we what what's around the corner but it's saying for the time we have got here we've got the best possible energy and we've got the best possible management of symptoms and i so often get asked i i get emailed all the time particularly by relatives of clients who 
just been diagnosed or they've been given a terminal diagnosis and they go is it worth it my, you know my my mum's got this is it worth it and do you know what my answer is if there's life there's hope mm-hmm. absolutely and actually i have seen with my eyes repeated and repeated and repeated and maybe not all of the stories are as successful as that gentleman's have been but i have absolutely seen massive increase in life expectancy and quality of life for my clients from what I do. And what I also see is them leaving their time with me, whether it's on Skype or whether it's in my office, with hope. Yeah. And sadly, they sit in front of that oncologist and they're being told that there might not be any hope. And and you know what? Accept it that you're going to die. Well, the reality, there's one certainty in life, Ben, and that is we're all going to die. But the difference is none of, none of us know where that's going to be. And I genuinely, exactly, mm. I genuinely believe that if, if we are still alive, there is hope of living longer than what we could be told might happen. And that, to me, actually helps the mind have control over our physical body by giving people an element of hope and things that they can tangibly take away to do and disempowerment of no you can't do anything no 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 that wouldn't make a difference no and i want people to leave me with do you know what yeah i can do that i can make those changes you've asked me to do joe yep i can do that yep i could do those lifestyle factors or take those supplements i can do that and that is such a different way to approach this disease and take an element of the fear out of it and replace it with an element of empowerment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that is so important. And if people are listening, leave with one thing, that should be it. The ball can be in your court and you can choose how to react to the situation as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, just when you were talking about stage four cancer, I think it's important that we clarify. If you have stage four, it's not always a death sentence either. You know, there are immunotherapy things which can help and kind of re- re- reverse that. Would you think that would be fair to say? Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and you know, the development of, of immunotherapy and targeted therapy is a really exciting uh, development in, in conventional medicine. And anything the more momentum that we can throw at this disease the more desired the outcome could be and everything about the work that i do is go now i know let's put your diagnosis to one side and let's work with you as an individual and actually whether you've got precancerous cells or you've got stage four cancer it's all about trying to optimize the environment within your body to change the trajectory of disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is an incredibly powerful change that we can work with our clients to do. Hugely. How, how receptive are oncologists and doctors to work with you? Um, it really varies. And you mm-hmm. can work with people from the same hospital and have two oncologists who work, like have offices in, next door to each other. And one is like so pro and one so anti. And it's so hard to know on whether that comes down to lack of knowledge, a fear that, you know, I'm questioning their judgment. I'm not. I'm not questioning their skill set. 
But I'm saying their skill set is limited to the tools in their toolkit. And I've got a different toolkit with different tools in it. Now, Mm -hmm. I can't surgically operate on anybody. I've not learned that skill. But I've got my tools that give me what I want to be working with. And if you put my toolkit with their toolkit, we've got double the tools to be working on the same client. So I I do have many, many an oncologist. And I, I, I commonly hear this. I don't know what she's doing, but what she's doing is helping, so don't stop. And, you know, I've had that for clients who've got quite nasty diseases and don't seem to be progressing at the rate that the oncologist was expecting or we managed to halt progression. And they're like, no, don't get it. Don't understand what she's doing, but she's clearly doing something, so keep going with her. And I'm like, well, that's good enough for me. I don't need my head to get bigger. I don't need my halo rubbing. What I need is my clients to realize that they are making a difference. And that is, that's my, that's what I am here to do for my clients, to take them on a journey, to guide them, support them, educate them, and really give them the ability to own their disease journey. And like I said, it's that trying to pull away from sick care towards a wellness journey. Yeah, and I think that should be the goal of every healthcare professional. You spoke about the in- integration of healthcare before, and I was wondering what's your kind of take on how could we integrate or how can healthcare and oncology become more integrated? Well, I would love, this is my this is my desire. I've got quite a few years of work still ahead of me yet, Ben. So, you know, it's still my desire before, <laughs> before my retirement age. I would love somebody who was diagnosed. And I don't just mean cancer. I do mean other diseases as well. I would love them to say, right, okay, so this is what's going on in your body. So let's take cancer because that's been the predominant feature of our talk today. So you've been diagnosed with a estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. This is the treatment protocol that I, the oncologist, wants to offer. But what you could do is you could also consider integrative oncology. And this is the next person you could go and see from an integrative point of view. And we could work together as a holistic team. That is my desire for the future. And that happens in some countries. It doesn't happen here. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like if you were building an extension and you would have a project manager and you would have an electrician and you would have a plumber and you would have a decorator and a bricklayer. You wouldn't expect one professional to do all of those jobs. So why would you expect your medical doctor to do all of those jobs? Okay. And the last two questions I seem to ask everyone that comes on the show. What is the most impactful change that you've made, health change that you have made in your life and why? Oh, my goodness, there's been so many. So because <laughs> my journey is dominated by my daughter's health, which so, so she's just turned 17, so we are 15 and a half years into her diagnosis, which is quite a long time to be making changes and believe me it's been a massive personal journey from taking away the likes of gluten and dairy to going 100 percent organic to changing our cookware to doing all of our water and and i genuinely genuinely stand by all of those things and that is our life that's how we live and it just is second nature and do you know what i love the most is listening to her educate her friends with no driving from me she just does it (laughs) that's fantastic i would say 
it is fantastic. I absolutely love it. I heard her in the back of the car talking to a friend about, you know, she, the friend who's got acne, and she's like, oh, maybe, maybe dairy, you know, dairy might not be good for that acne, but but don't go into soya milk because soya milk's often genetically modified. And I'm listening to it all going. <laughs> I didn't know she'd been listening to all That's of those amazing. conversations. Yeah, kids are like sponges, though, as well. They are absolutely. Yeah, but I would say actually, you know, of course, that's massively powerful. But do you know what it is? Is a realization that I cannot stay on a stress wheel forever. And the biggest and probably the hardest change I have have made stroke making because it isn't a destination; it's a journey is trying to relinquish drivers of stress in my life and practice mindfulness and keeping my cortisol levels down because I am I am have the predisposition to be a bit of a cortisol junkie I love what I do I love my work I'm mm-hmm. incredibly passionate and with that I can get a little bit carried away with the cortisol dominant feature of my life and that probably is the bit i'm going to say in answer to your question is the importance of lifestyle medicine Mm -hmm. which is actually harder to implement than all of the dietary things i told you that i've already done and still stand by will never ever change fantastic and last but not least can you please provide the listeners with three tips to help improve their health and well-being from today okay so number one is go away and prioritize you Don't wait until you're sick. Put time into wellness. So I hope you've got loads of listeners, Ben, that are listening to this because they believe in wellness. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's the best investment that you can make. And don't think you can't go visit a functional medicine practitioner if you don't have an imbalance. Like I say to my clients, I'm going to service your body just like you service your car. That's what I do for myself every, every year. I run functional testing and check that... I don't need to change my brake pads. I don't need to change my oil. That everything is working optimally because if it's not, I want to do something about it before I break down. So that's number one. Number two, hmm, oh, this is a tough one. Number two, it has to be stress. I want you to join my momentum of going that I am trying to throw away that badge of honor of being in the stress gang and I want to join the, I think it's okay to, throw that belief away and i want other people to share that around and actually for us to change that mindset that we shouldn't be stressed number three can i do four number three of course you can was gonna be not gonna stop you (laughs) i was i used to believe that sleep wasn't an important factor in my life like i was a I, I regularly had significant sleep deprivation. I had a child that didn't sleep. So therefore, focusing on sleep and making sure that you have that eight hours of sleep availability in your life, which means going to bed with more than eight hours to spare, is so important. And number four is don't ever ignore subtle changes because it's your body's way of talking to you. And if we don't listen to our body... We will be in the disease care system. Your bowel movements change. Your breast tenderness changes. Your skin changes. What is your body telling you that warrants you going, ah, I'm going to listen. Thanks, body. Thanks for talking to me. And I'm going to respect you by hearing you. 
Perfect. Definitely three to four powerful tips that um, I think a lot of listeners will appreciate. Joe, I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today and learning about integrative oncology and your thoughts on how healthcare can become more integrated and your modality of practice. Um, But before you go, could you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up? Okay, so my website is embracingnutrition.co.uk and I I will forever keep my passion in one-to-one work, but over the next year, I want to bring more and more opportunities to reach more people by offering bigger projects to more, including those that might not be able to afford one-to-one services to be able to for them to regain control of their body so that's more about the the people that want to prevent diseases Mm -hmm. as well as working with the people who already have them for for everyone at home i'll put everything that we've spoken about today including links to your website joe and all social media links in the show notes that's brilliant and i also do do a weekly uh weekly um blog so People can sign up for that on my website and every week it's got a different theme to it and and might just be a take home that people can go, I'm going to change that. I didn't realise about Mm -hmm. that. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I've really, really enjoyed it and I do hope that we can speak again soon. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook or our website and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support.